It's Acts chapter 5. I think you'd agree um, that it's always easier to start something than it is to continue something. Or to finish something. Do you know they say that only 62% finish a college degree within six years? It's a lot easier, men, I think you'd agree, to start that remodel project at your house than it is to finish it. I don't need any wives elbowing their husbands right now. It's a lot easier if you're a Christian to start reading your Bible than it is to continue reading it 30 days later. It's easier to start exercising than to keep exercising or or to start that fad diet than to stay faithful to that diet. Why is that? Because at some point, you'll be faced with reasons, maybe more than one, for why you should stop. For some, it'll just be that you get distracted with other interests. For some, you'll face financial barriers and you can't continue. For others, it'll just be, well, your expectations were unrealistic. It was a lot harder than you thought. For some, it'll be because you don't see results immediately and that bugs you. Or maybe your schedule will just get really busy and you'll just get too tired to, to do it. Well, here's the truth. No matter what you set out to do, you'll eventually come to this question. Is it worth it to continue? No matter what obstacles you're facing, are are the reasons you started still good enough reasons to finish? In our passage today, we have the apostles continuing their ministry of proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've all already faced opposition, but the opposition isn't going to stop. In fact, it's only going to increase right here in chapter five. And they're going to face a question that all of us have to face at some point as we're following Christ on our own spiritual journey. And it's this. Is the difficulty that comes with living for Christ going to stop you from being faithful to him? How many understand, in spite of what the TV preachers tell you, that living for Jesus can be hard sometimes? Yeah. Just because you give an offering to the church doesn't mean you're going to get rich. Don't believe that dude on TV. Just because you start going to church more faithful doesn't mean that automatically life just comes together for you. Why is that? Well, when you start living for Jesus, you're not living for the devil. And the devil's competitive. And he's fierce. Not to mention that old flesh that resides in you. That that pricks at you every day wanting you to return to old habits and old friends and old lifestyles and How many know that when you start going in the right direction, life gets hard sometimes, more difficult sometimes, and you'll be faced with that question. I think this passage of scripture and the example of the apostles can can motivate us to keep following Jesus and keep sharing Jesus, even when we're given every reason to stop. That's why I'm calling the message today, Gospel Resolve. Because I think that's what the text is meant to give us, this this increased resolve and purpose to to share the gospel and live the gospel even when it's difficult to do so. Look at verse 12, verse 12 through 16. That's where we'll start. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch and the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and and women, and so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. 
There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and, and, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So this is an, an amazingly positive note we get a start on based on the note we ended on last night, last week. Remember that? Ananias and Sapphira lied in church and they dropped over dead. That's kind of a rough sermon to preach. That's a rough day in God's house too. But now we get positive because these apostles are seeing wonders and signs and people are so hungry to, to, to get, to get fed and, and, and desperate to get well that they're like, man, I just want to go walk in Peter's shadow. Maybe that'll help me. And so many people are being brought from other cities to these apostles and, and they're helping them find Jesus. And, and, and I want you to know that what we just read is actually an answer to the apostles prayer. Look at, look at this prayer, chapter 4, verse 30. They prayed this after they were threatened with, with preaching Jesus. They, they prayed, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. They were told, stop preaching Jesus, so they went and had a prayer meeting at church. And they said, God, give us more boldness, because with more boldness, we'll be able to, we'll be able to see more signs and wonders done among the people. And now their prayers are answered. How many know that sometimes we don't see amazing things happen in and through our gospel witness or even our church simply because we don't ask God for it? It ought to be on your daily prayer list. God, give me boldness to share and live the gospel and help me to see fruit from it. Maybe God's not given us effectiveness because we just don't ask for it. We take it for granted. Well, the disciples asked for this, apostles asked for it. And they got it. But how many know? Haven't we learned this in Acts? When the gospel goes forward, when the church grows, the world doesn't like it. And Satan doesn't like it. And so as the pressure of the world comes in, it will usually come in equal to how the church is growing. And the effectiveness of the gospel through that church. And this shouldn't surprise us. This is the exact plot line of Jesus' life. Wasn't it in the Gospels? The more effective he grew, the more popular his influence became, the more opposition came up against him until the day they crucified him. It increased. And it shouldn't surprise us either that as our church grows in influence and effectiveness with the Gospel, it shouldn't surprise us when opposition comes. When your personal life, in your personal life, if you're growing in your spiritual journey right now, You're making good steps of finding and following Jesus. It shouldn't surprise you when opposition comes into your life. That's how Satan works. That's how he worked with these apostles. Great things happen, but we take a quick turn into opposition in verse 17. Look at your Bible. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. That word indignation means jealousy. They were jealous because the apostles were winning the favor of the people. And pulling their allegiance from, 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 from that of, of, of uh, the government and, and, and the, 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 the Jews' way of doing things. And following the Torah and their gospel, so to speak. And they were jealous, so jealous, they put them into prison. I think sometimes as Christians, we think... That opposition is a bad thing. So we usually default to, I must be doing something wrong. 
If, I, if, if my life is hard or if people are opposing me, I must be doing something wrong. And sometimes you may be doing something wrong. But I have found that a lot of times opposition means we're doing something right. Now, I know you may not get thrown into prison like the apostles. But if you're a growing Christian, you can expect opposition from one of three sources. Follow this. Either the world, the flesh, or the devil. When I talk about the world, I'm not talking about the globe. I'm talking about the world system. Their their messaging. Their intolerance to Christianity. Their worldview as composed to the Bible's worldview. This this system that's being crammed down our kids' throats. This messaging that comes through even simple Disney and Pixar movies these days. This is the world's system. Well, as you begin to orient your thinking and your convictions and your lifestyle around the Bible, guess what? The world won't agree with you. Sometimes you'll contradict family members and and sometimes you'll contradict co-workers and sometimes you'll contradict friends that you've had your entire life and they'll voice their disapproval or they'll just slowly distance themselves from you. You will feel some type of opposition over time. That's the world. But then there's the flesh. What's the flesh? That's the part of you that used to dominate your life before you came to Christ. When the Spirit indwells you, that, that means that you no longer have to say yes to the flesh. You're not changed and bound to the power of the flesh in your life. However, it's still very present and it's playing tug of war every day in your heart. How many felt that last week? It's tugging on you daily to return to those old habits and the old lifestyle and the old friends. It's tugging on you to just give up this Christian thing entirely. If you'll let it, the flesh will wear you down. Then there's the devil himself. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's subtly accusing you until you're so full of self-doubt that you feel like giving up. He's also called the father of lies. He'll find unique ways to lie to you in hopes that he can get you to start believing him more than you believe the Bible. He's called a lion, roaming about, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Did you know the devil right now is looking for a moment of vulnerability in your life so he can attack you? What's happening? Satan is trying to wear Christians down. It might not be through the government putting us into prison. But it could be through the world or the flesh or the devil. As he sees you growing, as he sees your gospel witness increasing, he will do whatever he can to get you to stop. And he'll bring you to this question right here. Is the difficulty that comes with living for Christ going to stop you from being faithful to him? That's the question. If you've been worn out by the world or the flesh or the devil or all three at once, you will have to answer this question. Am I going to stop or I'm going to keep going? Well, how do we keep going? Uh, Look to the end of the chapter. I wasn't going to do this, but let me give you a spoiler alert. The apostles kept going. Look at the very last verse. And daily, how many know what daily means? Every day. In the temple. And in every house, they ceased not. They didn't stop teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. It's not because they didn't get discouraged. It's not because they weren't tempted to quit. It's because they had some gospel resolve. 
They had something in their soul, in their mind, in their hearts, in their spirit from God that would not let them slow down, stop, or shut up. It's gospel resolve. What was it specifically? What does that look like? How do we increase our resolve to keep going when everything inside of us wants us to either slow down or stop? Four things. Here's what you need. Number one, you need faith in God's presence. Faith in God's presence. Study with me. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison. Now watch here. Verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Do not let this just be like a children's Bible story. This is not just for kids. This is an amazing story. I don't know how it happened exactly. I, I don't know if the apostles knew in the moment who broke them out of jail. But Luke highlights a detail here that might be easy to miss. He said the person who broke them free was the angel of the Lord. Did you know that title is reserved for special appearances of God toward his people in the Old Testament? The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, to Abraham, and to Moses, and Gideon, and Samson's parents, and Elijah, and David. What's Luke saying? He's making the point that the God of the Old Testament is not on the side of the Jewish leadership of the temple. He's on on the side of the apostles preaching Jesus. That had to be a reassuring For the apostles. And what did the angel tell them to do? He said, go, stand, and speak the gospel. Don't slow down. Don't shut up. Don't stop. How energizing it must have been for the apostles. For God to intervene. For God to have their back. For God to provide them protection and sustain them even through a night in prison. Do you think, do you think that, that maybe when they got into prison, I think they were composed, but when they got into prison, don't you think some, some, some feelings of sadness came upon them? Some doubt, maybe some fear came upon them? Some natural feelings of humanity when we get thrown into prison, if you've ever been there? I mean, it's not good. Plus, they were just falsely accused. And after the angels told them, I want you to go stand and preach. You know what they did in verse 21? They, they went and stood and preached. Immediately obeyed. The prison didn't stop them. Why? Because the angel of the Lord reassured them, God is with you. They had faith that not even a prison could keep them bound. A prison couldn't snuff out Christianity. I can't help but think that the words of Jesus in the Great Commission were ringing loud and clear. Do you remember those words? He said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And, and I want you to teach them to deserve all things I've commanded them. I want you to baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what did he say next? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. And now they're looking at each other and says, yeah, he's right. He's right in the places where you don't expect God to meet you. He's there. What's the truth for us today? We, we're going to feel the pressure sometimes that comes along with following Christ. And as you feel the heat, you may wonder, am I doing something wrong? Man, I'm having to battle my kids on this. Should I loosen up? Having to battle my extended family on this. They think I'm crazy. Should I loosen up? 
Man, my friends just don't understand why I won't do that or go there anymore. Should, should I loosen up? Pastor, I'm lovingly and patiently and wisely trying to show my co-workers Christ, but they're distancing themselves from me. What does that mean? Does that mean I should loosen up? The answer is no. Here's what you do. Remember God is with you. Wherever Christ and following Christ takes you, whether it's a prison of loneliness or, or a prison of hurt or a prison of abandonment or a prison of being misunderstood, wherever following Christ and sharing the gospel leads you, He will be there already. He may not break you out of prison. That's never the promise. But He will be with you in the prison. And you never know, sometimes He'll just break you out. Well, naturally, the apostles escaped from prison, got the attention of the Sanhedrin. The story proceeds with, I think, what is a bit of humor, because while the apostles were, were free men preaching to the crowds, the council didn't know it. They were meeting in the temple, deciding how they're going to put these guys on trial. Study with me, verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught, but the high priest came. And they that were with them and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. That was awesome. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. They were being political is what they were doing. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command ye that, uh, you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine." Intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we're so sorry. I'm sorry we offended you. I'm so sorry. Where is the room for the snowflakes? They didn't say any of that garbage. We ought to obey God rather than men. And he didn't stop there. What a brave dude. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. So is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. You don't just need faith in God's presence if you want to keep going when it's hard. You know what you need? Conviction to obey God's word. Conviction. Everybody say conviction. You know what that is? It's when you're convinced of something. It's when you can't be swayed in any other direction. Did you see Peter's conviction? He said, we can't obey men when we're supposed to obey God. Now I need to say something about convictions. Your convictions need to come from God's word. I say that because there are a lot of Christians that are loud where God is silent. A lot of Christians that have turned to conspiracy theorists. Probably because they, read a, they, they watched something on YouTube or read a specific author or listened to a radio guy. 
and just just bought hook, line, and sinker what they said, and they've just turned into cantankerous, negative, pessimistic children of God. And they call it convictions. Convictions need to be found in the Holy Scriptures. You can have opinions about those things. You can have preferences on those issues and we can discuss them charitably and respectfully and even disagree on them. How many know it's a mark of a spiritually mature Christian to be able to disagree with charity? It's an immature Christian who thinks everybody ought to be just like them. However, when it comes to the gospel, talking about sharing the gospel and living the gospel, that is something to be convicted about. We need to be so convinced that the gospel can change lives. That we cannot be assuaged from from any amount of worldly pressure to stop sharing the gospel. This is where the apostles stood. Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. We're convicted in our hearts that we will obey God's word no matter what men say. You know what that makes me think of? Men like Joseph. Joseph who is convicted in his heart. That he should not commit adultery with another man's wife. He knew that truth. He was convicted of integrity to his boss, whose name was Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, a beautiful woman, got him in a compromising situation. Kept pressing on him, pressing on him, flirting with him, flirting with him. And she said, lie with me, sleep with me, have sex with me. And he got out of the room. He could have gotten away with it. But he said no to a tempting situation. Why? Because he had convictions before that tempting situation got to him. He couldn't be swayed from it. I think of David when he showed up to give his brother some cheese and some crackers. And he heard this big old hairy, ugly dude talking about his God in a degrading way. And some conviction rose up in him that the glory of God should not be diminished. The armies of Israel should not be talked about this way because these are the armies of the living God. And he looked at all his brothers and he looked at King Saul and he said, is there not a cause? Does anyone around here have convictions? Okay, well, then I'm going. Give me some stones. No, you need this armor. You need this sword. David, you're not even big enough to be out here. Go back and tend the sheep. And nothing that men said could sway him. He said, I'm going to obey God, not men, not my brother who's condescending, not King Saul who thinks that I'm not good or strong or experienced enough. I am going to follow my convictions. I will stand in front of that ugly giant and I will declare that God who saved me from the mouth of a lion, who saved me from the paws of a bear, will save me from you too. And you know how the story went. You don't fight giants unless you have convictions. I think of Daniel, who got taken from his home, put into Babylon, a godless society, indoctrinated. They changed his name. They gave him Babylonian literature. tried, Tried to immerse him in a godless culture. You know why? Because King Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He said, if I can get the young people, I can change a nation. Why do you think Why do you think the messaging is geared toward teenagers? Why do you think Satan is so aggressive with our children? Because if he can change a child's mind, that's the future. That's why I believe in Christian education, by the way. If I said that before, I think it's I think it's all decent, but I like Christian education. Back to the message. Not only try to change his name. 
and, and his education. But he, he tried to change their diet. Put all those boys together, them Hebrew boys at a table. And he gave them the king's meat and the king's wine. And all the other Hebrew boys were given indication, just started chowing down. But not Daniel. Daniel looked to that servant and said, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. Why? Because he was convicted. He knew what the Torah said about eating, eat the, eating, eating meat that had been earlier offered to idols. That would be equivalent to, to, to worshiping false gods. You don't say no to the king. How many know that? Well, Daniel did. Why? Because he was convinced. Nothing could sway him. I'm going to obey God, not men. Would to God we'd have some followers of Christ in here that would have some conviction. In spite of what the world tells me, in spite of what my flesh tells me, in spite of what the the devil tells me. I'm going to stand on the word of God. How many know you won't keep sharing the gospel even after you're rejected for it unless you're convicted to do so? You won't keep talking about church when you go to work on Monday, especially when people are joking around about it, if you're not convicted to do so. You won't keep saying no to your kids on certain things, especially when their friends' parents are saying yes, unless you're convicted from the Bible to do so. You won't keep coming to church and serving and giving if it doesn't seem to be making a difference in your life unless you're convicted to do so. We need to forge convictions in the word of God, the clear teaching and principles of the word of God. So that when men and pressure try to sway us from following Christ, we'll be able to say, I will obey God. What do we need? What do we need? Faith in God's presence. We need faith in God's presence. We we need conviction to obey God's word. Let's continue, verse number 34. Then stood there up, one in the council, a Pharisee. So he wasn't necessarily on the apostles' side, but God seems to use him as an ally. His name is Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. The dude was a, he would have, if you're taking PhD classes, he's, he's your professor. He had a reputation among all the people. And he commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What ye intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rode up Feudus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obey him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel, this work be a man, it'll come to naught. But if it be a God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Do you see what's happening? Gamaliel brings up these two leaders of these past revolts, Feudus and Judas. And he says, both of these guys had quite the following. But once their leader died, everybody dispersed. Gamaliel said, here's the best political decision, guys. Let that happen again with these guys. They're they're, they're just leading a revolt. And, And if that revolt is of men, then it'll disperse. You won't get your hands dirty. You'll get voted back in Senate. 
It'll be okay. Leave him alone. Just let, let, let the cards play out. But I like what he said next. He said, but if it be of God, you can't overthrow it. And he knew well enough to say, you don't really want to be fighting against God. I think that probably perked up the apostles a little bit. No, come on. You know, Peter was, was, was competitive, right? You know, John was competitive. They raced to the tomb. You read that? They raced to the tomb. Who won? John. I like Peter. I've been cheering for Peter. John came through in the last moment. These guys were competitive. I'm thinking they're, they're, they didn't hear this work could be of men and it'll just take care of itself. You know what they heard? This works of God. They knew Gamaliel wasn't really on their side, but God was using Gamaliel to give them confidence in God's work. To reassure them, hey, we're part of something that'll never fail. We're part of something that, 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 that will never break down. We're part of something that God's a part of and you're not going to beat him up. You need, you need faith in God's presence. You need conviction to obey God's word. Here's what you need next. Confidence in God's work. This movement called Christianity, how many know it's not a work of man? It's a work of God. The book of Acts will show us over and over that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot and will never be overthrown. Not by external opposition, not by internal sin, not by external persecution, and not by internal division. Hey, if you find yourself doubting Christianity today, perhaps you can look back and realize that it's not by accident that Christianity is the largest world religion 2,000 plus years removed from the death of its rabbi. It's not an accident that even the most intense seasons of persecution have failed to snuff out the church. Jesus told these very apostles this in Matthew 16. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The devil will throw everything he can to get you and I to stop in God's work. But he will never succeed. I don't know about you. I like winning. I like to be part of a winning team. So I don't cheer for the Dallas Cowboys, frankly. We got a kindred spirit. I got you. I'll see you at the church, man. We're going to do lunch. Listen, if the Bible says that the church is the winner, then I'm going to go ahead and hitch my wagon to the church. Because I want to be part of something that will never fail. Hear me, I'm not just going to hold on till Jesus comes. I'm not just going to get in the fetal position, get all shy and ashamed of my Christianity because the world doesn't like it. I don't want to be antagonistic. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to pick a fight. But I want to stand on the word of God. I want to declare, thus saith the Lord. I want to preach with charity, but with boldness, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. With God's help, I'm going to to have the confidence 
to keep preaching. I'm going to have the confidence to keep standing. I'm going to have the confidence to keep inviting sinners to church. With, with God's help, I'm going to have the confidence to keep raising my family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I, I'm going to keep investing my money and my time into the work of God, even during a difficult economic season. With God's help, I'm not quitting. You know why? Because I belong to the church of the living God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes what you need to take the next right step is just to look back in history and remind yourself you are on the winning side. That's why I got so fired up in that last song because I knew what I was preaching. That's the advantage of being the song leader and the pastor. Satan's evil plans will fail, the songwriter said. You do not be duped into thinking that he will win. If you start thinking that he'll win and that he is winning, then you'll quit. No, God's winning. If you want to increase your gospel resolve, you need faith in God's presence. You need conviction to obey God's word. You need confidence in God's work. I'll end with this one. You need joy to suffer in God's call. This one isn't as pleasant, but you need it. Verse 40. After Gamaliel told them these things, they agreed, verse 40. When they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And they departed from the presence of the council, check this out, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then they continued daily in the temple in every house, cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This is amazing to me. They were able to escape the death penalty. But they still got beat. Historians tell us that, that it would have been 39 lashes across the bare back. It would have been humiliating. It would have been painful. Yet instead of us reading where the apostles whined and complained and played the victim and doubted their faith. You know what it says? They found joy. Found joy to suffer in God's call. This is convicting. Because I've never been scourged for my faith. But I've complained about lesser things. How about you? I, you? You want me to tell you what I think my attitude would have been after getting scourged? Not joyful. You know how I know? Because I'm not even joyful when someone cuts me off on Pershing Avenue. They make a ride off 2nd Street and proceed to go 19 miles an hour when the speed limit's 30. That roused me up. Does that not rouse you up? You polish your halo. I'm going to polish my horns today. That fire, you know how I know that I probably wouldn't survive that lashing with a pleasant spirit and a pleasant attitude? Because I can't even handle the everyday things. God help us. These apostles were the real deal. The real deal. They didn't just say, you know what? I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to kill them with kindness. Joy's deeper than that. They had this settledness in their spirit. They didn't throw a party because they just got scourged in front of people. But in their spirit, they had this sense of contentment. Why? Because they remembered what Jesus taught them on the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. And lash you, scourge you with 39 
lashes. Persecute you. Shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. How many get all twisted when someone says something bad about you? All twisted up. You got to tweet them back. Post them back. Argue your case. I do too. I do too. Here's what Jesus says. Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. He didn't say just put a smile on your face. Be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. You're not living for earth. You're not living for men's applause. You're living for the, for the applause of God the Father. On top of that, you're in good company because they persecuted the greatest prophets to ever live. If Elijah and Elisha and them guys can't escape it, why do you think you're going to escape it? You know why I thought they really rejoiced though? Because they realized that going through this allowed them to just bear a little bit of the pain that their Savior bore for them. They got to see and experience and feel a little picture of what Jesus saw and felt on the cross. And they walked away in their heart, possibly, saying, you know what? We got to be a little bit more like Christ today. We've never been scourged like that. We saw him get scourged. And we did it in his name today. And so you got to understand when following Christ invites pain in your life. Hear me. You get to identify with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, he was shamed for his faith. He suffered for his faith and his obedience to God, his father. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was abandoned. He was forsaken. Every step down the Via Della Rosa, he felt terrible. You're going to be like Jesus. Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they, the prophets. So persecuted they, the apostles. So persecuted they, your Savior. So rejoice. Don't try to avoid pain. The expense of sharing the gospel. At the same time, don't be annoying and invite pain unnecessarily. Be bold and charitable. And when the opposition comes and you pay the price for it, you keep your head up. You keep your head up. You know why? Because the gospel either provokes one or two responses. Don't miss this and I'm done. It either provokes repentance or opposition. We didn't read it, but I think verse 33 said that when Peter preached Jesus, they were cut to the heart. Does that phrase sound familiar? Because back when Peter preached Jesus in chapter 2, the same phrase is mentioned. They were cut to the heart. But the first audience, what did they do when they were cut to the heart? Believed and repented. What did this crowd do? They got livid. If somebody is opposing your gospel stand, done in the right way, If somebody's opposing that, then chances are they are fighting the conviction of God in their life. You just keep going. You keep doing the right thing with meekness, with humility, but with courage. The church must stand. Followers of Christ must remain obedient. Because Satan's coming. The world's pressing on us. Opposition is at every corner. Do 
not give up. All the church said. Stand to your feet.